Last Jedi is definitely the one that I've, I've gotten into the most arguments about. People kind of think that I hate it. Oh, maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> Watch it again, I, sure. I feel so strongly like about like what it shouldn't have done. We could do a whole podcast on these. Like We could. I definitely don't hate any Star Wars film except maybe Attack of the Clones. Welcome to Rockefeller's Storytellers, a podcast by Dead Horse Jive, Ireland's best-dressed rock and roll band. So, in each episode two of Dead Horse Jive, we'll sit down for a long-ish conversation. The questions for each episode will be written by the other members of the band. So, yeah, this is the only podcast in which a band basically interviews itself on a weekly basis. And we are going. Hello, Jason. Hello, John. Cool. So this is, what is this, episode four or five or something like this that? Is, this is five, yeah. yeah. The Only the second episode with me in it, so really it's only episode two. Same. All right, let's get going. Let's get going. And do you want to go from number one there? The guitar playing one. Your guitar playing styles are very different. How do you get them to sound good together? Well, I suppose it's mostly the amount of rehearsing and gigs we've done together. Yeah, I think we kind of know what each other are at most of the time. Well, I don't really have to think. You have to think about it a lot more than me. <laughs> like, because you're sitting in the rhythm section, like, and then I'm just laying down what's on top of that. So it's not too bad. Like, I, I don't think be... our styles are that different either. I mean, you do a lot more stuff rhythmically than I do, I suppose. And not to rehash what was said before, but you were talking a little about your kind of like your funk influences. Mm. And like, I do a little bit of that too, but I think that you, you do a lot more of it. Yeah, sure. I'm playing chords for the whole gig nearly. And you're sliding up and down the neck serenading mm-hmm. yeah mostly what i do is as well especially in the last like two years or so i i'm generally thinking about the chords a lot underneath now mm. and in my playing rather than just the scale so like if you're playing an a then i try and you know get those a notes in you know what i mean like a, I the do, I do. For in a major and like i'm thinking about the arpeggios and so on a lot more than i used to number two kind of a nice personality question matt bellamy uh, recently bought the Telecaster Jeff Buckley used to record the album Grace. If you could own any one guitar in the world, which would it be, John? Go. I'm a sucker for Telecasters, so the first one that came to mind is uh, Bruce Springsteen's Telecaster with the Esquire neck that's on the cover of Born to Run. But now I'm after thinking, I my, my favourite Strat is definitely um, oh, what's his name? David Gilmore. His, his all-black Strat that he played for years and years and he only sold it like two years ago or something for auction but gorgeous i love the sound of it and i love the the look of it i love all black or else maybe um malcolm young's oh god i can't remember what it's called now the gretch with the one pickup i think the hole where the neck pickup should be is so cool and the butterscotch color is class that's three for me that's enough (laughs) um well i think i only buy guitars off lee o'brien (laughs) <laughs> I bought I bought like three guitars off him. I uh, the first thing I'd say about that is I'm fine. I don't want any more guitars. <laughs> um, at least any more electric guitars, not for the moment. Um, and in terms of like famous guitar players' guitars, I also don't feel too strongly about them either. I mean, I want those guys to have them. Really, does I don't know if does Joe Bonamassa have Rory Gallagher's guitar or did he just play it once? He might have it. The the beaten 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 Strat like yeah. Sure, he has every guitar ever made. Like, <laughs> yeah, he died. Did you see that documentary that um that Reverb.com did about him? 
I didn't know. That got, it's got like fucking 800 guitars. But like 800 guitars that used to be owned by proper guitar players and like limited editions and special custom shop stuff. And then he only plays the one guitar on tour unless he's feeling particularly saucy one night. Do you know? Yeah, it does seem like a bit of a waste, really, doesn't it? Like, or maybe he plays them at home, though. I do like, I think it's like, like Kirk Hammett, you know, he, he's got Peter Green's guitar and, you know, he, to his credit, like he, he plays that thing on stage. And Slash has like loads of guitars. I don't know what his number is, but he's like, got, he, he throws them out on stage and plays them at every, every gig, you know, maybe not all of them, but I, there's a good portion. I mean, I've got like, so what, what have I got there? I've got a, a SG, a Strat, and then I've got a, a Mockingbird and a Firebird. Mockingbird? Yeah. BC Rich Mockingbird. I never really play it. It's, it's too hard to restring. <laughs> it takes like 10 minutes to restring it. And then I've got just the acoustic. That's one new guitar I want. I want to nice, get a nice, nicer acoustic. Yeah, me too. Um, when I buy another acoustic guitar, and I will buy one, that's it. I don't ever want to buy another acoustic guitar again. Like I, I want to spend big bucks and then never ever have to think about it again. Yeah, that's fair. And as for electric guitars, I don't know. If this, I, I suppose I should answer the question. If I could own any one guitar in the world, what would it be? I could say something smart, like I could say a guitar by someone that I know so that they can't have it. Echo Hearts, Flying V, or whatever. <laughs> what does he have, an Explorer, is it? Explorer, yeah. Whoever wrote this question, they put Matt Bellamy in. Is he, he's from Muse, Muse is he? Yeah. He's, I think he's got a guitar with like a screen on the side. He has some weird guitars. I, I, I loved um, watching a video about him talking about some of the guitars with like MIDI pickups and... Mm like like electronic elements but still you know it's still guitar you know it's not necessarily a different instrument you're actually making me after making me think of what i want now is is you know that guitar that came out in the 80s and there was only like 600 of them made is, is it the one it's it's like plastic frets but each fret pushes differently is it it's like a midi keyboard but it's in like it's a guitar what was it called again i can't remember we'll take a break i'm just gonna look at aha syntax okay I'm talking about the synth axe. If there was one guitar that I want, it is the synth axe. Yeah. I think that's fucking cool as shit. That's what I want. That's my answer to that question. Right, Go on, the you. Next question is for you, Joycey. What's the story with that comedian who said wrestling was for dumb people? All right. Yeah. So, okay. So, I, I wrote, for those who don't know, I wrote that exact same question to the people on the previous podcast because I was very angry about it at the time. I'm not so angry about it anymore, and I've actually forgotten the name of the comedian. The story with that comedian who said that is that he's stupid, and wrestling is not for dumb people. It's for people of high culture and who enjoy a bit of a song and a bit of a dance and, and who enjoy a good story with heroes and villains and, and all sorts. Did you find it? Married comedians Tom Segura and Christina P., ranting about how pro wrestling is fake and anyone who likes it is a nerd. Yeah, I think it was Patton Oswald replied to him and was like, shut your mouth, fair play to him. Um, but anyone who says that, like, I think they should go and like, be a wrestler for a day. You know, obviously it's, uh, as, as we know now, it's a choreographed or predetermined, not chore- it's not choreographed, but it's predetermined. So the guys are working together to put on a show, but no different than, you know, Tom Cruise and... and whoever he's in his latest film with is putting on a show. The only difference is that these guys are doing it live. They don't get a second take. And uh, also they're landing on like, you know, a a ring. So uh, yeah, shut your mouth, Tom Segura. That's how (laughs) I feel about that. And also, if any Irish wrestlers are listening, 
yes, I would like to be part of the show. And you can get me on Facebook. Imagine if we did a thing where the intermission of the gig was a wrestling match. And like the, the stage was the ring as well. Yeah, well, there is more to come on that, John. Yeah. Because I've had an idea in my head for a couple of years now. Oh, I I've, think that's, I've, yes. I've never built on and We won't talk about it yet, but okay. yeah, maybe something similar to that. But they, they do have bands on WWE sometimes. Like, like Motorhead played at uh, WrestleMania 17, Triple H, and Motorhead played live as he walked out. I'm, I'm sure Kid Rock did one as well. He, he did the Undertaker's music. Oh, a really good one was uh, Machine Gun Kelly. So Machine Gun Kelly did a, a performance at a, a WWE show. And everyone was like, I hate this. I hate Machine Gun Kelly. And then Kevin Owens, the wrestler, came out and powerbombed him. And like, it was <laughs> awesome. Like, and Machine Gun Kelly didn't get any credit for like letting them do that. It was so good. Like, now, I mean, his legs kind of went everywhere. and He didn't really do it right. But like, who yeah. cares? It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's the story. Question four. What artists are your musical guilty pleasures? I was trying to have a think about this one. And the kind of one that would be most obviously in a guilty pleasure category would probably be ABBA because I fucking love ABBA but there's no there's nothing guilty about it because I think they're class yeah I agree then unfortunately I think because it it's not cool when we both say the same thing so yeah I don't have any guilty pleasures but I really like the music of David Soul you might know or you might not know as I'm Hutch from Starsky and Hutch Uh, don't give up on us baby was his most famous song and um, I really like Robbie Williams unabashedly. I think he's really, really good. I also like Michael Bublé. Well, I mean, whoever writes Robbie Williams songs is phenomenal. Whatever, whatever individual or team, because I don't think Robbie Williams has a bad song. Up to say maybe there was a song three or four years ago with a like, whistle in it and it wrecked my head, but only because it was on the radio. But it wasn't necessarily a bad song, do you know? It wasn't You Know Me, was, or You Know Me, yeah. It didn't have a whistle in it, but it has a kind of a high-pitched... Maybe. That was a great song, though. I don't know how you could hate that. It was a killer tune. It was the one where he was dressed up as the rabbit in the video. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I love that song, man. Maybe. But um, he definitely writes at least some of the songs himself. Okay. And um, there was that whole thing about um, Angels being co-written by a guy from Dublin. Oh, yeah? Um, Blind Boy does a podcast about it. Basically... Robbie Williams was getting fucked up in the 90s or when he left Take That anyway. And he went on a bender with this lad that he met in Dublin. And at some point in this bender, the guy from Dublin maybe sold Angels to Robbie Williams. There's not like, there's no, I don't think there's any dispute that the guy definitely wrote something that ended up in Angels. Yeah. But there's a dispute as to what extent he wrote it, I think. Like he's, he doesn't want more money or anything. He's just like, I want to be kind of recognized. And then Robbie Williams is like, no, I actually wrote most of it. Listen to the Rubber Bandits podcast. He does one where he kind of goes into detail on it. And it's really interesting and kind of sad in a way. Because yeah. like neither of them come across as the bad guy. Like, you know, not like Robbie Williams isn't like this, this millionaire who's like walking over this, this poor songwriter. He just neither can really fully remember what happened. Another one for me, guilty pleasure wise, that other people might consider a guilty pleasure is Taylor Swift. I... Love Taylor Swift, and I don't care. Yeah, I like some of her songs. Yeah. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely don't think she's devoid of anything, of like of any good music. Like, I love Shake It Off. I hated that one, though. Tru- trouble, 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 you know yeah. that one? Ah! Yeah, that one. But there's definitely a lot of like really class melodies in some of her songs. Here's a potentially controversial question. Rank the nine Star Wars films. 
I like how they're not recognizing Rogue One or Solo or the Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, will I go first? Do, yeah. Okay, well, my ranking, thinking about it on, off the top of my head, because I hadn't pre-planned this. Yeah. Uh, um, Attack of the Clones, I think, is the worst one. And then I think the Phantom Menace is bad after that. I'd probably put The Last Jedi next. I've only seen the new one once, so maybe that's worse than The Last Jedi. I'm not sure. And then The Force Awakens after both of them. Then Revenge of the Sith. is it, Revenge of the Sith is quite high up for me because it's got all the memes. And Ewan McGregor is fucking brilliant in it. And uh, then I would actually put... Now, this one's controversial here now, but it's not a, it's not a negative thing. Um, I actually would put Empire third of the top three. Not, like, it's actually probably the best film. But Return of the Jedi is just one that I loved because it's kind of there's closure, or at least there was at the time. And then A New Hope is my favorite one of all of them. So even though Empire is third, it's not really... And nobody needs to get upset about this either if they're, if they're listening. You know, if, people, if you're typing a, a comment, stop. <laughs> it's a film. Stop yeah. getting upset. So that's how I feel about that. People think I hate The Last Jedi as well, and I don't hate it. The cinematography is really good, and I love some bits of it. I think it's set out to do some things that it shouldn't have done. And then I think it failed to achieve those things that it shouldn't have set out to do in the first place. But I think it's cool that they took a risk on it. And like I said, it looks awesome. It's got one of my favorite like events in all the Star Wars is that um, is that bit where Hondo turns around the resistance ship and light speeds and that like silence and that like I get goosebumps watching that. I fucking love it. Yeah, it looks great when it goes through as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, the so shot. satisfying. Um, what's your ranking going? my ranking uh, i might go top to bottom maybe instead of bottom to top because i'll definitely fuck it up rogue one isn't one of these nine but rogue one is my favorite star wars film that's gonna be my caveat i suppose my number one for the nine skywalker saga would probably be controversially the rise of skywalker number one but i i'm not sure if that's because it's the most recent one i've seen or if it's because i genuinely think it's it's great I wasn't really into Star Wars when the prequels came out. And obviously I wasn't alive when the original trilogy came out. So it might have something to do with the fact that I, I feel like I've grown up or like attached to the sequel characters. So I'd probably put Rise of Skywalker first. And then Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace. I'd, or no, I should probably shoehorn A New Hope up there somewhere. And then Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Attack the Clones in a random order down the bottom because I didn't think this through in advance. The most controversial opinion potentially is putting Rise of Skywalker at number one. Yeah, and shoehorning in A New Hope. Yeah, because I forgot about it for a second. Let me just throw that in anywhere so I don't, <laughs> upset, I don't upset anyone. What were you putting at the end there? I don't really know what was going on. Attack the Clones, Phantom Menace, Force Awakens, and Last Jedi, I think, just somewhere in there. So you put Last Jedi at the bottom? Uh, maybe not in the very bottom. Attack the Clones at the bottom, I'd say. And then whatever order anyone sees fit for the rest of them. Last Jedi is definitely the one that I've, I've gotten into the most arguments about. People kind of think that I hate it. Oh, maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> Watch it again, sure. I, I feel so strongly like about like what it shouldn't have done. We could do a whole podcast on these. Like We could. I definitely don't hate any Star Wars film except maybe Attack of the Clones. I enjoy pretty much all of them and it's more like whichever ones i've seen most recently because i haven't 
consuming a lot of Star Wars content lately. Like I started replaying uh, Jedi Fallen Order because the DLC came out and I've been playing Battlefront 2 a lot. So I've been consuming an awful lot of Star Wars. So I've, I'm probably just in prequels mode at the minute, you know? Yeah. Or not I'll... prequels, sorry, sequels. Yeah, I get you. Do you notice how I said at first I didn't hate The Last Jedi and then when it came back around, I said I think I did? That's because like, the more I think about it, the more I go, oh, I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Right, so in The Rise of Skywalker, right, here's one thing and then I don't really want to get into more than that and you can give okay. me yours, right? Okay, so in like the original trilogy, right, you know, there's like Luke, Leia and Han and they're all mates, like, and, and they become more and more mates as the trilogy progresses. So by the time Luke, goes to save Han who's frozen in carbonite you're like that's what mates do though isn't it like that's what mates do but in the new trilogy Ray and Poe don't meet until the end of Force Awakens and then they don't meet again until the end of The Last Jedi so they only met twice yeah and then in Rise of Skywalker they're like that's what mates do, Poe, isn't it? Yeah, it, and it's like, you guys don't know each other. Like, imagine somebody that you've met twice in three years. Think of a person you've met twice in three years, and you're all like, oi, all right. You wouldn't be like, you'd be like, hello. It'd be one of those things where like, you're walking down the street and you're not sure whether you should nod at someone or not. That's yeah. the relationship Poe and Ray should have, unless they became fast friends at the end of The Last Jedi, in which case I would have liked to have seen that film. Yeah, yeah, I get you. So it just, it just, it doesn't feel like a trilogy. It's, it feels like three movies. Yeah. That's that for yeah. me. Go on, go on ahead. That's that fairly sorted, that question. <laughs> I hope we're going to get loads of abuse now. Loads of abuse. <laughs> hope so. You are listening to Rockefeller Storytellers by Dead Horse Jive, the podcast where a band interviews itself on a weekly basis. We would love to hear from you if you have thoughts about today's episode. So you can get in touch on Facebook, send us a message, you can tweet us, Instagram, or you can send us an email at deadhorsejiveband at gmail.com. If you like today's episode, then please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts or do it the old fashioned way and tell a friend. And now, with no further ado, it's back to Rockefeller's Storytellers. Uh, where are we on? What are the most important lessons you've both learned from managing your own tours? <laughs> you definitely learn a lot being squeezed in the back of that Almira. There's not as much glamour as no. you'd hope for. Um, managing your own tours. I guess being nice and being professional goes further than anything else. I'd say that it's it's a lot more doable than it seems. You know, we we kind of did a long tour there that there last summer, and that was a that was a lot of fun. But it, you know, it was a lot of work, and you don't have to do tours that are that long. Mm. You know, I think like if there's a band there now listening, that like you know you can do a tour. Like, and doing your first tour is the hardest one because you're like, well, we're not ready to do a tour. Once you've done one, then you've done it. Like, and now you can do as many as you want without it being an issue. Like, you can do a, do a five date tour. You can totally do it. That's the the most important thing I think to take from it. Like. Yeah, like if you play, if you're playing small gigs, the first tour with the small gigs is hard. But then when you go back to those small places, hopefully the same people will go see you and maybe bring some mates and stuff. And plus, you'll you'll make a relationship with the venue. And if you do that in a few places, then that's you know that's a network around the place, you know, and that's that's other potential contacts to like. Oh well, we're 
help and organize this festival or I know someone who wants a support act, etc., etc. But being sound, going back to what you said, is definitely, I think, very important and could be overlooked. But also, you know, you might just be like, ah, oh, fuck this, I'm tired. I'm just going to play the gig. Like, nah, if you're, if you're, if you're tired, you still got to be like, hey, how's it going? Do you know, this is the yeah, crack. Yeah. I definitely, when people are sound, I definitely want to work with them again as well. Like, there's a lot of bands that, a lot, especially I'm thinking of bands that are just dead on and I really like, I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely want to play with them again. Like, I think it's good to be bold as well. Like, just, you know, message the gigs that you think you're not going to get. There was a band there that contacted me a couple of weeks ago because they wanted to do a support slot. Well, I didn't have that for them. It was obviously not a few weeks ago, it was a few months ago, but in the last year. And I was like, ah, shit, you know, I really want to help these guys out now because like they, they did, you know, they took the time to send me a message and all that. What happened then was a couple of weeks later, um, Zeros and Ones, Dave from Zeros and Ones sent me a message um, looking for, uh, if, asking if we would support him and uh, his band. And I think Daryl was away on holiday or something like that was... But uh, we couldn't do it. And I was like, oh, but there's this band that sent me a message and I wasn't really able to do it. For, and I want them to, I want them, them to know that you know, they can message me and I'll try and sort them out. So I, and they ended up playing the gig then. So I, maybe they would have got it anyway. I think Dave said he was looking at them. But uh, I recommended them anyway. So I think it's good just to, you know, just, just send out the messages that you don't think you're going to get responses to. You know, even if you don't get 10 of them, you might get the 11th one. Yeah, I suppose on that note, kind of tone the line between uh, being ambitious and being cheeky kind of like a little bit of both without without being like hey we're a band and we played one gig can we support you code line <laughs> oh yeah i would say yes and if they say nothing or they say no who fucking cares if they say yes tell you're going to support in code line don't fuck up what are they going to do go no in fact i'm going to make sure you never play in this town again how dare you email me no i think fucking go for it like you know like message everyone well, you can t- people can take my advice or they can take your advice. How about that? We don't have to agree. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the, oh, you should be careful. And you're, you're the like, nah, go chase your dreams. I want to be like, yeah, chase your dreams, but don't like... You can both chase your dreams and manage your expectations. You know, yeah. I think that's part of chasing your dreams is you have to do it in steps. Yeah. Like, don't be bummed out if Guns N' Roses don't email you back. That's... Nobody emails back. That's another thing. <laughs> Be prepared for that and don't let it bring you down. I suppose that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say without saying that. But yeah, okay. So, <laughs> like so, a brand, everyone's busy. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all if someone doesn't email me back. I'm kind of like, that's fine. Like, I used know, to get really annoyed about it. Yeah, and it's, like, it's just something you, you, you kind of have to try not to take personally, which is hard, you know. But Yeah, yeah. What about a song makes you think we should cover this? Short answer, because it's class. The kind of covers we had been doing were like... Anywhere between hard rock classics, some Eric Clapton, like a couple of Queen songs. But then we have Born This Way by Lady Gaga, which is just a total bop and really works in the funky slash hard rock style. So I'm not really sure if there's like one particular thing apart from a song being class. Yeah, sometimes I just hear things on the radio and I'm like, this would be a great idea to cover. I try and do the opposite of what ex- what's expected. Yeah. That's kind of something that we do. That's not to say that another band should do that. Sometimes you should do what's expected. Like, because what we do is like, Welcome to the Jungle. And then we do, you know, a Rory Gallagher song. And then we do Sledgehammer. And then we do Born This Way. You know, I, there's kind of a very loose connection between some of them and no connection between other ones. And I think, I, I just like to always be surprising people with the covers. Yeah. Like, I really like doing covers that everybody knows, but nobody else does. What's that Phil Collins one? 
The name escapes uh, me now. Easy Lover. Yeah, so we do Easy Lover. I don't think I've ever heard a band do that one. But everyone's uh, like, yeah, this song. But everybody nice. knows it, yeah. But they're like, where do I know that from? I like those songs. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing now? Material Girl, we started doing there by Madonna. Madonna, yeah. Song 2 by Blur. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've never seen a band do that. Like, But yeah, it's so common. Like Everyone knows it. And then we do like five Prince songs. Yeah. Prince is like a secret weapon. Nobody realizes that everybody loves Prince. Like, Oh, um, come from the land of the ice and snow. And the, well, I suppose that's oh, and, um, Led Zeppelin. The Immigrant Song, yeah. Yeah, yeah. nobody does that song because it's really hard for the singer. The only band, well, I, I think the only person I've seen do it other than Darius is Stephen Sharp. I think he, I don't know if anyone else has. That's fair. But yeah, that's a good one because like you can pull that out and if people aren't into it, it's only two minutes long yeah. or they're out. So it's not like you're stuck playing another six minute song. I think that's one that you people should definitely do. The other two that I couldn't think of that I think are my two favorite covers for playing are Emerald and Purple Rain. Fucking Emerald. Yeah. 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 yeah that's class. And like, again, like, you know, everybody knows it, but nobody does it like. And Purple Rain. Everyone does Purple Rain. Yeah, but everybody loves it as well. Yeah, it's like a secret weapon. Like, If you're going to do one more song after Purple Rain, it can only be Shout. There's another example. I remember listening to that and I was like, this is the most energetic song ever. Like, we have to do it. And there's only two, well, there's two chords in it except for the bridge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how are we going to play these two chords and not get fucking bored? But it's, as long as you keep the dynamics going, yeah. it's really, really good. And people always, it's like the most danceable song of all time. It's got an awful lot of sing-back bits as well. It's not just the same for the whole song. There's, mm. there's the whoa bits, and then there's, and a little bit louder now. That's the crux of the song as well. You have to do those. The most yeah. important of that song is the backing vocals. Absolutely. They're, they're what make it. As with, as with most songs with backing yeah. vocals, I think they're like, backing vocals are the, so important. the secret, secret to unreal songs. No one else is allowed to do that song now, though. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Go away there. In fact, me specifically, because I thought <laughs> fair if anyone leaves the band, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to use the song anymore. That's fair. Last question. It's a very juicy last question. And you know what? To be honest, I don't actually know too much about it. But go ahead. And I'm gonna read it exactly how it's written. How about all this Dominic Cummings stuff? A. Eh? Yeah, like I mean, he, I'm googling it now, and that man looks like a neo-Nazi. We're recording this on the 27th of May, and by the time this goes out, it'll probably be the second week in June. So everything we say is, is probably going to be out of date. So the, the basis of it is that he like, he broke the kind of uh, the rules for staying, you know, within your, he broke yeah. the COVID-19 restrictions and then he was like, nah, too bad about it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But, but, but like, as he tried to explain himself, it was a bit like steamed hams. Where it was just another lie and it's getting worse and worse. It was like, oh no, I wasn't, you know, breaking the restrictions. My wife was sick. Oh, no, my wife wasn't sick. I was also sick. Oh, no, no, but I couldn't see, you know, and, and... All right, well, his name is Cummings, so I don't want to be too hard on him. I don't really like that he broke the COVID-19 restrictions when other people are supposed to, mm. to, you know, abide by them. I don't know if anything will change if he resigns, so pff, might as well. I don't know. What does Boris want? Does he want to keep him? Yeah, Boris is like, he's grand. What are you on about? Leave him alone. And I think he should resign, definitely, if Boris wants him to stay. That's the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller Storytellers, the podcast by Dead Horse Jive. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, then we are on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Bandcamp, and all the other usual online places. 
We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch if you want to let us know what you thought of this week's episode or if you have any questions of your own for the band. If you're feeling extra generous and you want to do your part to help keep independent musicians afloat, then you can send us a small tip on paypal.me forward slash deadhorsejive. All contributions, no matter how large or small, will help us to pay for things such as recording time, touring expenses, purchasing new equipment, and the marketing we use to help get our music out there. Once again, thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller's Storytellers. We hope you enjoyed and see you next time.